yourself was saying then, I will take those now, but if you can just put your hands up and we will get a microphone to you. So thank you so much for listening. You've been a great audience. We wanted to put these keynotes together at the beginning to give you more chance to get out and spend time in the seminars discussing things. So any, any questions at all? Yes, one just at the back, just there. Anyone with a microphone got a question? One there, Migs, yeah. Why do you think that people with severe depression want to stay anonymous? I, I didn't catch that, sorry. Why do, why do we think people with severe depression want to stay anonymous? Thank you. Go on. <laughs> I think I, one of the sort of things that I've really enjoyed reading and developing with, with Mind and Soul was written by Amanda, who's doing a seminar on what it means to be a carer of somebody with a mental health problem. And she, she's written a thing called 10 Things That Were Said to Her. And, it, and it's all stuff like, oh, you're looking great today, which perhaps is said with the best intentions. But actually, if the person's not feeling great, it can cause a whole bunch of problems. And um, the, what she's done is she's sort of, the, these are the 10 things that were said to me. And actually, these are the 10 things I heard. And I think sometimes when you begin to share your emotional story, you wonder what response you're going to get. And it could either be a standard response, well, come along to a small group or something, and that, that may not fit with you, or it may be a sort of, oh, I'll try and cheer the person up, and that may not be what you want, or actually the person might be quite worried. And what she's done in this article is write a whole bunch of stuff like, you know, actually all that's needed is help, support, treat the person kind of normally. Whereas I think when somebody does say, actually, I've really struggled with really severe depression, they're automatically treated differently. They don't actually want that. They may just want just to be treated normally in the church. I think, I think we have to also, as was said in my talk, the importance of, of walking with people long term. You know, I'm, I believe in transformation. I believe Jesus can change and heal people in an instant. But that belief doesn't mean that that's going to happen for everyone. And it doesn't mean that somehow we're all failures because that person is enduring this experience for many years. You know, we have to walk with people for a long period of time. And I think, and so, sometimes people just feel the pressure to get well quick, don't they? It's, um, you know, they were, uh, quick, I mean, all these people have prayed for me and I feel really guilty. They've all prayed for me and I'm not well. So I want to become well for them. So we try and force ourselves back into the same old masks that say, well, you know, I'm holding myself up and oh, I'm coming to church. And it's exhausting. You know, whatever happened to going long term and saying we're going to walk with you long term? That's mm -hmm. so important. And that's where we need to accept people as Christ accepts them, to walk with them long term. So I think that's, that, 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 that's, that's one of the reasons Good. why people want to hide and be anonymous. Let's go for, let's go for There was one. one down there. Have you got a microphone for the lady just there? And there's a person in the far corner. Just checking that it's working. So, uh, mine's both a comment and a question. Because all the years of my life, I've had one family member that suffered with mental illness. And at first, it was considered psychological. Now, it's considered genetic. And I just can't see why we can't treat, you know, mental illness as we treat uh, something like diabetes. And I just feel so sad now that, uh, you know, we have got this sort of stigma. Hmm. I think, you know, we look at categorization and it, 
however we look at mental or emotional health categorization, we can, we can either soften or harden it up. Sometimes people say, well, that person's, you know, they've got a genetic issue or they've got a, you know, an underlying familial issue uh, or this is, this is because of their own doing. They've just worked too hard and now they've burnt out. Aren't they a silly boy? Um, you know, but actually, the reality of the ends is the same. I think the important is that we face people as human, that we see people as people, whatever the origins of their illness. And we see the same approach to HIV, AIDS. You know, is it, is it sort of, it almost seems like, you know, the route by which it was, you know, c- contamination occurred is some, a, a different reason to treat the person differently. Oh, this person's only had a blood transfusion, so poor them. But this person has caught HIV through unprotected sex. Oh, silly boy. You know, as if that changes it. This person's got HIV. You know, let's love them because they're someone who's seriously ill. Uh, and the same is true for, for, for mental and emotional health issues. Just because the causes are different doesn't mean that the person is no longer a person and that they equally need our love. Yeah. There is a sort of false split between, you know, science and, and faith, as I was touching on. But take diabetes as an example. You know, yes, there does happen to be something which works for the root problem called insulin. But that's not true of all cases of diabetes. And even in that situation, there's a whole bunch of people. I mean, my brother's diabetic, okay, from the age five. He's got to take insulin every day for the rest of his life. That's a serious psychological issue to deal with. Now, it hasn't actually stopped him doing a great deal, but it may in the future. And for other people, they really struggle with that. They manipulate their insulin to change their weight, particularly young teenage girls. You know, so, so diabetes is, is a psychological illness, that requires shared psychotherapy and the person understanding and taking responsibility for their own health, as well as it being a medical problem. And I think a lot of things fit together, and it would be, I very rarely see a problem that I can say, that's psychological, or that's genetic, or, or that's medical. I think we need to sort of see what kinds of things might work and try and understand everything together. And I'm sorry if that's vague, but I think that's the best thing to do, because I think when we polarise, we stigmatise. Great, Yes. Uh, I'm a member of a, a small church on the Wirral. Uh, it's a Methodist church, and it's very middle class, very, very, very successful uh, locally for pastoral uh, work. <clears throat> but I'm also a person that suffers from long-term mental health problems. And uh, through necessity, I set up a, uh, a secular uh, mental health group that I actually used the church building for. And uh, there's a group of about 15 of us from the community who suffer from various problems of social phobias, bipolar disorder, alcohol addiction, drug addiction, different things like this. And it occurs to me that uh, looking at my own problems and the problems in society and and church as a whole, it's fear is the underlying cause of so many of our problems. Whether it's specific fear of meeting people or fear of failure... Uh, fear of being exposed for what we really like. Everyone in the church has some level of mental health problems in terms of fear. Sure. You know, you can talk about anything in the church, but you ask anybody to go and evangelise and tell them someone about Jesus, they get paranoid. Don't ask me, use sure. the evangelist. We all suffer from fear. Yeah, that's true. And I think we ought to address that, that maybe my spectrum of fear is a lot more severe, maybe I need medication, but everyone I, I talk to about these problems, you know, people yeah. suffer from a lack of confidence which can become very fearful. Absolutely, yeah, I think that's definitely true. I mean, I think fear is, is, fear is obviously an underlying 
category, if we were using categories, uh, anxiety is an underlying category that we could you know, identify and isolate. And it's a common experience. I mean, if we didn't fear, then we, would, we wouldn't be alive because we would have been run over by a London bus. Well, I would have because I live in London, but you would be fine because you live in Bradford. Maybe your buses are worse than ours. I doubt it. Um, and, and, and yes, fear is an underlying concern. I think, you know, just as, 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 as the kind writer of my email suggests, you know, and, and as Rob's Asmo Jesus uh, little cartoon identifies, the existence of fear and Jesus' power over fear uh, are two important things that we need to understand, but there's not a kind of a, an equation that we can just lay out for everyone and say, here's the equation, Jesus uh, plus fear equals peace, because it's all going to work out and you know, he's going to take it and subsume it from you. So I do think fear is an important thing for us to, uh, you know, to approach, um, and I think understanding fear and understanding complex anxiety is really important in the church. But I think, again, you know, fear is an aspect of ourselves. We need to look at ourselves holistically uh, and, and approach ourselves holistically. As much as we can target fear as one dynamic, which we need to undo, there are so many more that make us a person. And so I want, I, I want us to sort of, if you like, focus holistically um, and, and try and approach ourselves and hold ourselves as people and say, yes, this is a genuine part of my psyche. Fear is part of me. It's not going to rule me, but it's equally uh, not something I can do without. Life yeah. without fear isn't a yeah. good option either. We've got a question there at the front, Migs, if we could. Um, just so I get the microphone there, just say something about, you know, isn't it wonderful when God works through people even when they are scared, even when they are fearful? We have this treasure in jars of clay, and what that means, if you look at that verse in, in, in 2 Corinthians, it says we don't need to use deceitful means. We don't need to be clever. You know, the, the, the young lad with learning disability can present this treasure in jars of clay, despite the fact that he's got quite significant symptoms by some categories. And I, I love it when God works with people who are still on a journey, because actually we're still on a journey. Yeah, I suppose this is more of a comment than a question, really. But uh, I suffered bipolar disorder myself and I think to get accepted in the church you have to get try to get more involved in the church the biggest and easiest thing is to hide your illness or run away from it and be obscure but um, I find what, when I first joined like I'm a born again Christian and the present church for three years and got baptised and gave out my state uh, testimony now, I think there's a, well, I do know for a fact there's, there's like you say, um, one in five people suffer mental illness. I think the, the best way is to confront it and to fight it and to know that Jesus is on your side. He has given you a voice and he wants you to be a living testimony of his love. And yeah. now our church is growing. Our alpha courses are growing. Mm. We're having two a year. And... Um, people are getting baptised. Fantastic. And I think that's a great example of a testimony. You've been through a test and you're not moaning. Okay? Testimonies are not moans. They're they're testimonies. They're they're, they're saying something about the test you've been through in a non-moaning way. And I think think that's a great great example. It's a great approach as well. I mean, but but it's also a very brave approach. And if you like, that's quite an interesting counter to fear. You know, it's actually disclosure very early on. Um, so, you know, and, and that's something that's obviously great, isn't it, when we share, but it's also quite, it takes a lot of courage to, like, just come out and say it as it is from the front. So that's brilliant to hear yeah. that. Thank you. Last question just here at the front, and then um, Jonathan. 
Thank you. Um, I'd like to thank Will for showing a human side as well. It made me as a CBT therapist yeah. in the last year, 11 years come to admit that I've gone through a depression as well. And that's really hard, I think, when we're professionals, you know, to yeah. feel like we're not superwomen. So thank you so much. You've yeah. brought a lot. Um, I've been a CBT therapist working on my own for 11 years, and I love it. I love the working with people. I've recently come into faith and committed faith in the last few months, which is phenomenal, loving mm -hmm. it, and, oh, it's just the best. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, and um, I realize there's such a gap in what I do. I feel this frustration when I'm working. I'm just starting a job with family and children's services and social services. I'm thinking, how do I go about filling that gap how do I go about not being threatening and wanting to work as a therapist in this world and start to sow a seed without being threatening in organizations like that and yep. working in in the faith that I'm really starting to yep. feel like I'm going how do how do you begin yeah definitely a couple of things I mean just just a plug Again, the Mind and Soul website, there's some articles on there. Um, there's particularly some stuff on a Christian approach to CBT, and perhaps we could talk later because that's my training as well. But I think just generally, one of the lovely things about a health professional working in mental health services, you get asked the questions across the board. You know, you're not just asking about symptoms, you're asking about housing and debt and families and all that is relevant to the problem. And a question I ask every single new person I see is, do you have a faith to help you at a time like this? It's all I say. 80% of the time, don't talk about it again. 10% of the time, yes, and I think it's really important. I want it considered as part of my care plan, which if, it, if they are a person of faith is important. And 10% of the time, I used to, and I wish I did. How can you help me, doctor? And that, to me, opens the door. Because I can say, well, actually, I, I, can I speak for a moment as, a, as not a doctor? And perhaps we deal with that. So I think, but that's a question I ask everybody. Do you have a faith that helps you at a time like this? I think it's an essential question that, I mean, you know, spirituality in the NHS this afternoon, it's one of the things that we must be doing is proactively seeking people's spiritual agenda and seeing how that fits with the rest of their care plan. So actually things are looking up because you ought to be doing this and your colleagues who are not are the ones who shouldn't. Okay, we must I, I wouldn't, hand I wouldn't over... Also, sorry, Will. Yeah. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't undermine your implicit witness either, Suzanne. I think one of the key things is that as as Christ lives in you and like shines through you, there's an implicit witness there which will affect others and, and that the fragrance of Christ like on you as you minister yeah. will be something yeah. that affects hearts and minds. And so you have to also, you know, all you NHS practitioners out there, don't feel that you're not doing a great job if you're not saying such and such about Jesus, let me pray for you. You are a light of Christ. Christ is in you and you're affecting change and Christ is affecting change through you just mm -hmm. by the way you are and by what you're doing. So I yeah. think that's really important to know that. Fantastic. Great. Good off you. Great. This is the first time today actually the three of us, the three directors of Mind and Soul have been on the <laughs> stage together. Thank you, Will, and thank you, Rob. Thank you. Right. <clears throat>